0: Yeah, you <laughs> <can you> walk, <laughs> you're the no, no, us. I'm just kidding. Do it. I'm just kidding.
1: Um, this, no, is, I'm so serious. this is Inks that's on the Road, and we are on the roof of PS1 in uh, Long Island City, is it called here? Yep. Uh, I had no idea there was a Long Island City. So yeah. Queens
2: is made up... The Queens. The Queens, as I'm calling it now, yeah. The Queens is made up of lots of little towns, because it gets annexed by... New York City in 1898, so there was Astoria, Long Island City, Ridgewood where I live, Flushing. So you'll see these little neighborhoods, and so when you write your address, if you live in the Queens, you're writing that you live in Long Island City, New York. But Brooklyn is always one big town, so you always just say Brooklyn. Even if you live on one side of Brooklyn, or the northeast side or the southwest side. But Queens is much different.
1: There's a McConnell Park in Richmond Hill. No way. Named after my great uncle. Why aren't we there right now? Because Richmond Hill is in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Says you. It was named. It was named
3: after his great uncle as a warning to children. McConnells aren't allowed there. Oh. <laughs> I loved them so much. Oh.
0: <laughs>
1: he died in the war. Uh. The Great War. Uh. Um, it was awesome. The Last Great War. Yeah. The Terrific War. Yeah. The Splendid yeah. War. <laughs> he was the first person in that neighborhood to die during the First World War. From uh, Really? Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's why it's named after him. He's shitting me, right? <laughs> first person from Richmond Hill to die. So I don't know if he died in combat or if he got the flu. The grip. Yeah. Um,
2: trench,
1: trench fever. Trench foot. Uh, trench foot. foot. Yeah. yeah. Crickets. Died of <laughs> 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 uh, I should mention who uh, we're sitting here gabbing with. It's N- Nick Bertosi. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Got it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> Just say Bertosi. Nick Bertosi. Yeah. Uh, now he's giving me a mean look for that one. He brought us to an amazing Italian lunch, and now I'm butchering the language. Absorbing. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, <certo? laughs> I, I want to hear a unique pronunciation of Brandon's name. A Brandon Graham. That's what it's sticking with now. This tour has been nothing but unique unique names for me. Um, As as we're sitting here right before the interview, I was trying to write down all the books, and it's a lot of books that you've done. Yeah, I've been busy. You've been busy. Um, I don't fool around. Just to kind of run over some of them there's The Salon, Maskus, Jerusalem, Shackleton, Lewis and Clark, uh, Persimmon Cup, uh, Rubbernecker, Stuffed. What am I forgetting? Jerusalem, I said Jerusalem. Uh, salon, said salon first. What's Stuffed? the what's <laughs> the <laughs> map?
3: What's the map comic you
1: did this year? Boswash.
2: Boswash. Yeah, you guys remember where Boswash the name comes from, right? No. So back in the '60s and '70s, urban planners thought that the area running from Washington DC to Boston was going to be one solid city, and they were just going to call it Boswash. That's amazing. It's a sort of Orwellian name right. for it. So that's where that came from. And that book is about national, or that comic is about nationalism. It sounds like Boston hogwash. Yeah, yes, yeah, I would agree 100%. Sort of the same same principle, yeah. Boston and Washington, a lot of hogwash right. in between. So they, so that story is about nationalism, mm-hmm. about I was trying to come up with a theme for all of my work, or I wasn't trying to come up with it, I was trying to go deep on the, the question of what it is I'm searching for in my right. work. You know, sometimes authors think of it that way. And I guess I'd read in some Fancy Pants book that all authors have a theme that runs through all of their work. And I thought at that time that mine was, why do we create borders? Hmm. Why do we have nationalism? And just this fetish for creating borders that the Western culture has, and the Western culture brought upon the, the Americas, or right. now, now called Americas. And, uh, and so that's, from there came the map the idea for making it in a map format so the content would influence <coughs> the map. I was hanging out with Dean Hasfield and Jason Little and they were... Mm. Jason Little, as you know, is an extreme formalist and right. extreme, extremely into formalism and so he influenced me a lot and Dean was the... I, I was going to do it just as a giant map in each state was going to be you're going to have to read it right to left. It mm-hmm. was going to be the United States as it as it turned into the United States. It was going to start with the thirteen colonies, and then run its way over to the West Coast, and then eventually jump to Alaska and uh, Hawaii, and then the story would end in Guam, or or Midway, or the Virgin mm-hmm. Islands, or some of the other U.S. territories way out in, in the Pacific, and uh, you know eventually, event you know it would be a story about about borders about creating nations and uh, my my what does he say my stomach exceeded my eyes or my eyes exceeded oh, right. my stomach yep. and it eventually just came back down to earth and was a story about the Mexican-American war and mm-hmm. about a young cartographer who's forced to create this he was forced to go out and create this physical boundary between Mexico and the United States after the United States had taken you know right. taken all this territory annexed all this territory from Mexico, and he's fighting with his commander, and the commander says, just, "I know it's not in the United States. Technically, it's not on the right parallel, but we want that hill because it's, strate- it's a strategic hill. Mm-hmm. And so, just put your markers around that hill. Just write it in your in your map that that's our hill, and that's what the the conflict was about. Right. And there's a little bit of uh, Deus Ex Machina in the end of it, and so it's not doesn't have a very good ending. Mm-hmm. It's kind of Little trite, but it, yeah, it's they, read by, by folding it out, right? Each oh yeah, scale. so yeah, so it's a like a driving map. So mm-hmm. each time you unfold it, each panel is each uh, unfolding is a new panel, right? And you had to, I had to number them though because otherwise you wouldn't know which way to read. Mm-hmm. But it's a, I guess it's a unique reading. I, I you know, I'm too close to it. I would never know how it works because that, that was my introduction. To if I achieved it. Achieved. The, the I good was there. very impressed at the time. It's been a while. But. but do you think, I think kind of the form kind of took over the content. I don't know if the content's really as strong as the form. I like to just, I mean, the idea of, of making a, a
3: comic book about a map maker in the format of a map it's just, <laughs> yeah, that's
2: fantastic. It's a cool form. I'll give you the format. I'll give you that. I'll admit that. But the story, I'm still. <laughs> I just look at it and cringe. All right. Well, I to use, agree to disagree. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have boxes and boxes left of it because it was a zero grant, and I had mm-hmm. all this money left over, so I just printed extra copies. And I printed up a bunch of copies in French thinking, I'll just I'll go to France. I'll go to Angoulême and try to send it there, right. sell it there. And... Uh, Nobody wanted it in France. Nobody was interested. Well, especially
3: in something like that is they expect
2: for free because it's just they, every, it's like This isn't a hardcover. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a, where, this is, an where are you going to the drawing
1: in this for me?
2: This is not an album. Yeah. And yeah. worse yet, it was translated by a Quebecois. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so this like, is not French. <laughs> uh, right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Quebecois. For those I love you guys, but don't know the Quebecois language is the same as French. If it was fifteen fifty. It's like the
3: the
2: version of Ozark's English or something, <laughs> y'all. Yeah, have you guys heard that there's a Shakespeare company running around that uh, performs using the language from 500 years ago? It, so would, they sound exactly as though they're from the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. That's the that. So everybody in England in Shakespeare's time was running around with an act with the uh, the accent of Yosemite Sam. Because, so a scholar is working on this right now. and He's saying, yeah, if you if you look at all how how the lines uh, the end of lines never matched because if you speak with an English accent you drop off all the Rs. And right. They don't they don't quite fit. But if you speak the Rs, everything's the the rhymes start making sense. Interesting. That's not comics, but English right. no, That's yeah.
3: interesting. There's, there's <laughs> been uh, there's been lots of talk of. Shakespeare has been creeping into these conversations lately, too. Really? Yeah, we talked to Ron Wimberley last,
1: with his wow. Prince of Cats book. Yeah, I love that book. Yeah, it's fantastic. Now, I want to kind of get to know a little more of kind of your background, because I think your earliest book is Masochist?
2: No. No? Oh, um, my gosh, you're in for a surprise. So My research failed. How dare you? So I started out... Okay, here's my story. You ready for this one? Okay, it interrupt, interrupt on. me when you want to. Uh, so when I was a little kid, before I could even start reading, my father used to read me uh, Hergé comics, mm-hmm. uh, Classics Illustrated comics, er, by Hergé I mean Tintin, sorry, I know it's a little snobby of me to say that, Tintin comics, uh, Classics mm-hmm. Illustrated comics, and R. Crumb comics with the swears left out. Mm-hmm. So this is my, 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 this is what imprinted on my brain is so comics even when I was little. So didn't actually read them to you that- yeah, we would. Just, that would be my nighttime reading material. He would just we'd sit down, lie down in bed, and he'd sit next to me and pull out a right. comic and, and read the comic. He would point to each, <laughs> and each this panel. This is a comic it's book a,
3: about a young, a young African-American woman who
2: some businessman uses a toilet. I'm yeah. going to leave the... Uh, oh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, <laughs> he would s- skip those pages. Okay. He would it was Mr. Natural, mostly, oh, and right. the... Oh, he'd also read me Gilbert Shelton's uh, Furry Freak Brothers. He I loved, loved those. That
3: was a big one for me
2: growing up, too. Oh, loved it. There's one drawing that Gilbert Shelton did of the kind of Nazi fascist commander of this prison camp, mm-hmm. and the way this guy's leaping, that was forever imprinted in my brain. It's maybe the best drawing ever right. of all time in all cartooning.
3: My, my earliest... One of my earliest comic book memories is the... the um, Furry Freak Brothers comic where they're all sleeping with the same lady and and they put pinholes in each other's condoms and they all get
2: the clap. (laughs) I don't remember that one. My dad might not have read that one to me. Uh Or I might have understood that story a little differently. Why are they playing with balloons, Dad? (laughs) (laughs) So so that was the imprint for me on comics. And uh, we didn't have a TV from 5 to 11, so Mm -hmm. comics were my savior. And I would ju- that's all I would do, is just read comics and comics and comics. And, it was and b- where you hilarious. living at this point? Oh, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. I was born in the Queens. Grew up in the Providence. And uh, right next to RISD and, and uh, Brown, so I had access to that culture. So when RISD right. would have its animation, student animation festival every spring, mm-hmm. I was able to go see that. And I, I, that certainly helped out a lot. And we lived two blocks away from the art... Cinema in Providence. It was two for ones. You could go see Ralph Bakshi's Wizards and uh, Fantastic Planet. The uh, Roland Torpor. The uh, movie when we
1: were Planets Wavage. That was in the background at one of our interviews in the West Coast.
2: I, that I can't even. Uh, Jason Little ripped the music for me. The soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't. Still can't listen to it. It terrifies me. Even if there are other people in the room, it just right. makes me feel cold and clammy and creepy. But that. So that. That early going to see Aguirre, Wrath of God early, Mm -hmm. a lot of Herzog movies early, Uh, uh, really a lot of Fellini, a lot of um, uh, uh, Rossellini, things like that really imprinted on lots of Lots of
3: outside mainstream American culture. Yeah, but
2: sort of mainstream arty stuff. Yeah. But that, as a young kid, that really, that informed my sensibility, and since I didn't have... Have TV. I think that kind of filled in the yeah. filled in the mortar around the bricks, and uh, uh, so from there, so that was my sensibility. And so then I quit. So I was doing comics on my own as a kid, and I read Marvel comics. I loved X Men. I loved Spider Man, and you know those sorts of things. And and I was doing pale imitations of those comics as a kid, from say nine to fifteen. I did about eighty little mini comic sized comics. Um, obsessively working on them on my own uh, with a couple of friends that, that we, uh, we would trade comics together that we had, that we had drawn. And there they they were pale imitations of superheroes uh, or, or, um, Starship, or Star Blazers, I don't know if you guys got that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Battleship yeah. Yamato. Yamato. Uh, I'm dying to see the live action of that. And I want to see it in Japanese because I don't want to know what they're saying. <laughs> I just want to oh, yeah. watch it.
3: it. It's really, it's very pretty.
2: But yeah, Harlock. Have you seen that one yet? I just started watching no, that. No, I haven't
3: seen the live action one.
2: And it's uh, it looks exciting. The live action Cutie Honey is actually pretty good. <laughs> I don't even know about that. They is
3: that another uh, Steam Studio? It's no, it's, it's it might be. It's uh, I mean, it's not it's not Matsumoto comics, but it's guy I think. But um, yeah, they they actually Devilman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got um, uh, Torada to do her costume. Did you see Torada doing you know stuff? The, Okay. He's a he's a fantastic. I'm dumb dumb. When this he's dumb, this guy who puts stuff. out these like telephone book size sketchbooks. They call him the sketchbook king <laughs> of just characters. Of just just not it's like bathrooms and
2: airplanes. Like it's, <laughs> really? Yeah, it's just like that's his can you thing. Write is that down so I remember to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to look into that. That sounds right up my alley. Bathrooms and airplanes. Just um, absolutely everything. So I, I quit comics from age fifteen to we moved out to the country yeah. we went to high school in Rehoboth Massachusetts and we went so it was kind of a dearth of culture out there although you could say it was you know, learning about the farming culture that was interesting Great. and uh, uh, learning, learning about uh, I, I say it was like footloose except I couldn't dance and I didn't charm anybody uh-huh. and so I w- wound up running, fleeing back to the city as fast as I could so I was trying to play in bands for a good 8-9 eight, eight, years and I got back into comics via Hate and 8-Ball yes. right around 1990 and that were 91 and it was uh, it was right when Hate and 8-Ball were just in that first year of, of, of existence and it was it was right. the perfect for the Hate Ball Tour that's I think it was right after that that mm-hmm. I was, was uh, introduced to them and and of course Eleven Rockets was soon thereafter and I was just off and running and I wound up trying to complete my run of Nexus Comics which was my favorite superhero comic as a kid and mm-hmm. um, uh, Steve Rude and, and, and uh Mike Barron. Uh, and what a what a great plot device that is, the the where he gets his powers. Couldn't it couldn't be any better for a superhero story. I and mean, that's kinda like the apotheosis of superstory. Super next story super superhero stories? His I mean, I've only read the later issues. So he he has to assassinate dictators and and or just people of an evil bent, or or he starts getting mas- uh, terrible migraines. Mm-hmm. And that's where his powers come from. So I can't remember where he got his powers. It's like Highlander. Is that what Highlander does? Well, no, Highlander, Highlander you just has to, to kill, to kill, kill other, yeah, other Highlanders
1: and yeah. absorb their powers. Other Highlanders? No. Yeah. Well, other Immortals. <laughs> it's called Highlander because he's Scottish. Oh uh, right, uh, right.
2: Um, too right. So so, um, I got back into comics and I applied for a job. I, I, I moved to Philly with a friend because I just wanted to get out of Boston where I was going to school right. and I applied for a job at Fat Jack's Comic Crypt mm-hmm. in Philadelphia and they hired me because in my skills section, of my resume I wrote, "attention to Detail attention with an M mm-hmm. A-T-T-E-M
0: T-I-O-N <laughs> like, This is hilarious and
2: so they thought either this guy is a mad genius or he's the biggest idiot who <laughs> ever walked oh, the earth yes. And so I remember in the interview, they asked me, so, attention to detail. And I went, uh, yeah, yeah. And they, had, they were laughing. I remember them laughing. And it wasn't until about a year afterwards that they, they were explaining that, you know, yeah, we love that joke. You came up with the attention to detail. And I was like, what joke? <laughs> I realized they'd hired an idiot. Was no so I worked for his comic shop for a couple of years. And I was looking, it was right after the tail end of the black and white boom, And I thought, I can draw some of this stuff mm-hmm. I can do this and I can do some really good stories and I am sure I have it in me and so I started drawing and it was just horrible but uh you have got to get your sea legs under you you got to you got to do a lot of mm-hmm. you know 100 hundreds of pages before you get to the good stuff and um
3: I I d- it was always a stack of paper as big as you was the, I think Dave Samwood said that and it's it's it oh, become harder for you reading. too yeah we're both oh. over we're both like over 6'4". So.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know that's a lot. Of, yeah, I'm almost there. I think so. I'm almost to the good stuff. But uh, so I started. I started self-publishing this mini comic with a friend of mine called Incredible Drinking Buddies, yeah, which is fine. You know, it's it's uh, forgotten, thankfully. And um, you know, my, I I don't want to. It was it was my learning period. I'm not. I don't mean to throw it under the bus, but. You know, so I I wasn't I didn't really know a lot back then. So I I look at it and it's just I see all the warts and it's painful to look at. In that I didn't spend more time working on it. Hmm. And uh, then I started publishing my own comics. Oh, I was at that while I was doing that, I had to do that in a under a pseudonym because I was working at DC Comics. Oh, right, DC has a weird
3: Rule weird roller. You basically aren't allowed to work in comics when you work. For yeah, anything. that's what they say. Plenty of people flout that rule. Yeah, it's a very. I always, I always find it really bizarre because they, they also don't hire out of, out of production, right? Well, you just oh, yeah, marketing. yeah, some marketing. Some oh, marketing. Okay. Yeah, yeah it, was so it was because I was
2: a, I was a retailer, uh-huh. and they had met me through the retailer conferences, and they just said, "Oh, this guy's a, seems to be a, you know, bright young thing." Right. And I was personable at that point. Learn, working at the comic shop brought me out of my shell because I was the, the king of the nerds mm-hmm. and uh, hurting the nerds and uh, it's, I, I would recommend that for anybody going into comics you know, learn where, <laughs> learn who's buying your comics learn who go, what people want when they go into a comic shop. Huh. I don't know if it's helped me but it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of interesting stories there and uh, so I got hired away by DC Comics and that was three years uh, flying all over the country with a comp- the company card and taking artists and writers and retailers out to dinner. It felt like God with that company card, the American Express. Oh, really? Just going, yeah, let's let's do an eight person dinner and spend $1,000 on dinner.
3: Are you meeting artists whose work you're excited about?
2: Oh, I met Sergio Aragonese. Nice. The nicest guy ever. Uh, I had to, I remember driving around three British artists, let's say. I'll call them Mant Gorison, Arth Grenis, (laughs)
0: I'll
2: just leave it there, and uh, one certain colorist, and I remember picking them up for this, I was shepherding around this tour in, uh, in San Francisco, and I remember they got into the car and it was just... Filled with pot smoke and whippets right away. Right. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun doing that. You're going to ruin their reputation. I don't know what, I,
1: yeah. I the one that uh, <laughs> it tells a story of using so many drugs that he uh, shit himself for wearing a white suit on a plane.
2: <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about, yeah. Um, yeah, that person might have been stopped at the airport when we were picking up because he's wearing silver pants and a, a giant Che Guevara t-shirt.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you want to make it difficult. Yeah, for exactly. Your exactly. Yeah.
2: That's pre-9-11 though, so maybe that's not so bad. But, uh, so we went, so we, um, we... <laughs> we uh, so, I was working there for three years and I realized that I was not good at selling things because I would I would. It was my job to call up people and say, "You want more Batman's? Because Alex Ross is doing the cover, or something like that." And I just, my taste was so far apart from what what the mainstream was. And I, I, it wasn't that I didn't want to have that taste, because I never thought I'd be a full time artist. But right. I just thought, uh, uh, I, I mean, I just never fit with, with with the mainstream. I couldn't pick out something and go, "Oh, that's that's going to be popular and that's going to sell." Hmm. And so. Uh, it, was, it was good that I quit that job and I started self-publishing uh, uh, pamphlet size, printed copy, you know, um, uh, professionally printed, let's say, comics versions of Incredible Drinking Buddies. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I knew a friend of mine who was, he could sell, he was an indie cartoonist, he could sell 10,000 of anything he put out. So I thought, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do about 5,000 of anything I put out. You know, because I, I know I can do at least half of what he does. And so before I even get the numbers back from the distributor, I would, I would, uh, I, I went ahead and printed up five thousand copies of Incredible Drinking Buddies number one, mm-hmm. and the orders came in at six hundred ninety-two. That was a big learning lesson. Right. So the, when you throw out those, and I know I remember Ivan Brunetti saying he did this, when you throw out your first comic, you know your boxes and boxes and boxes of comics, your you know, 20, 25 boxes full of this, cr- this crappy comic that you labored over and thought it you know it's going to be this huge hit right. uh, it's it changes you and it makes you a little more respectful of uh, of, of, the, of the art of the medium public mm-hmm. yeah and you realize you know there's you know if you were you know, I was could be a little bit of a snob and say oh that that silly superhero comic is not so good it's just a soap opera and now I realize what it takes to make a soap opera and it's kind of it's a little bit of a idiot savantness because you have to kind of turn off a part of your brain to make a, a comic like that. And I, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I'm, uh, I just said idiot savant. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to be, in order to you, you have know, to drink that dog piss and like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
3: I better just move on because I'm get, digging myself. You're right, a big but hole. But, it, but it gave you an idea that um,
1: that, it, that at least you need a particularly honed set of skills and abilities. Yeah, well, it's craft. As you, we were talking about before we started, it's crap. Like it's, you can,
2: you know, it's, it's not for me, but it's crap. Yeah, we were also
3: both talking about how uh, how bad we are at, at at promotion and marketing because that's a very different skill than than uh, than making the work. Oh yeah. And so you know, so I think a lot of that stuff succeeds on being well marketed and not necessarily well made.
2: Well, if you're a strong artist, it's important for you to. That self loathing has to be there. You <laughs> have to be able to piss all over yourself. Or else you're or else you're just not gonna get any you're not gonna get any better. Mm-hmm. You're just you know, there's so many people that have kind of stuck with their same style for years and years or haven't grown you know, added dimension to that one style. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can get very static and you can see somebody who's you know, it's an artist that I respected or still you know, still like quite a bit. Or, like, they're still fond of their older work, but it's just, you know, they're doing these kind of pale imitations of what they'd done 20 or 30 years ago, and that's just, that's, yeah, that's not who I want to be. But, so I so I quit DC Comics, publishing uh, Incredible Drinking Buddies. I did five issues of this thing, and I was just running it into the ground, you know, lower and lower and lower order numbers. And then I was living with Dean Hasfield, we just happened to be roommates, and he, he said, don't publish another one of these. I was going to publish a sixth issue, and he said, don't do it. You know, what are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? You're trying to get this audience that's, that doesn't want your stuff. You know, you're trying, to, you're trying to do what Shannon Wheeler did with coffee, trying to get into the Too Much Coffee Man, trying to get into... My idea was to do all this licensing with yeah. Too Much Coffee Man, make lunch boxes for the Incredible Drinking Buddies, mm-hmm. and things like that. And it just was... I was trying to go for an audience. And he said, just do a comic you want to see. And there happened to be this Comics 2000 contest, or Comics du Mil from no, L'Association. Yeah, that. that was amazing. And Dean said, you've got to apply for this thing. they are going to pay you 100 a, a francs a page mm-hmm. if you get in. And the, the theme was the 20th century. And he said, just apply. Do something you want to do. Right. Something that you, a comic you want to see.
3: There was comics from all over the world, too, which is what yeah. was so exciting. Yeah, that yeah. That. a 2,000-page book. a story in it coming from, from Africa
2: yeah it's it's stunning it's yeah. stunning but so I applied or I sent in my work and they accepted it and it was 13 pages it was one of the longest stories in that thing because uh, once I started working on this I just kind of got carried away and it was and you can definitely see echoes of of uh, um, Fellini's Roma in there hmm. there's work with the shadows and the kind of parades and, th- and the groups of people moving around and the camera moving in and out of, of these groups. Right. And so it was definitely, uh, I recognized even then, that it was a calling. It was a, I was going back to my influences of those early movies when I was 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And so that was a real vindication. It was a success. Here was me getting paid mm-hmm. for comics. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, I was able to get a little more self-confidence and then uh the next thing i did was there was another contest i just thought i'm just going to do contests from now on <laughs> you know make make a living making a, uh uh doing illustrations and and, and and little odd jobs and just enter these contests and see what happens and the next contest was it was not quite a contest but the zero grant was this awesome grant that Peter Laird of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles used to offer and you could get several thousand dollars for publishing your comic and that was Boswash and they accepted it mm-hmm. and that was uh, just a comic I wanted to see something I was thinking about was nationalism mm-hmm. right? I just read this book by Benjamin Britton called Jihad McWorld I might be mis- I might be not Benjamin Britton that's a composer isn't it I'm forgetting the guy's name but it was this book about where where uh, where how we create borders. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to play with that idea. And so that I got an Ignatz from that, or maybe a couple of Ignatzes, I don't remember. And that was at SPX when I won those. And the next day, Jeff Mason comes up to me and goes, the guy who, ran, who used to run uh, alternative comics, mm-hmm. the venerable alternative comics, and he came up to me and said, what do you want to do next? And I had these short stories that I was hustling around that I'd done, they're pretty dark, uh, that, uh, that eventually... Uh, became the masochists, mm-hmm. and so I did those with Jeff, and and that was a we actually sold a bunch of those, but I was gonna get I was about to get paid, and Baker and Taylor, I think no it wasn't Baker and Taylor it was one of the other big uh, distributors book distributors went out of business right, and so all the money from that disappeared, sadly, so it was just like a, an affirmation that oh yeah the business. You know, it's a weird one, it's got the ups and downs, and so I learned, you know, I learned not to take it too seriously, Mm -hmm. not to rely on it for all my income. Yeah, you know, just, it would be a, it would be a little, it would be a hobby, a very, very deep hobby, but that's how I was going to treat it. And uh, then there was enough success with that, that I was able to uh, start the Rubbernecker series with Jeff, and we did four issues. And I had a kid, and <laughs> I just changed right. everything, and then I was just seeking out money, like a yeah. crazy person. I remember when Rubbernecker started,
3: it was a really big deal, because kind of I was in New York then, and kind of the New York uh, um, you know, alternative comic scene. Yeah. Then, it, was, uh, it was something, you were doing a lot of experimental stuff in that. Like, I guess you you, you always do. Like, um, the first issue has the story of the, the club that the character goes to, and everything is, is, is all the words balloons are pitchers. I
2: think that's an issue of one. That's in the first issue? It's in one of those. Uh, well, I guess it is. I guess you're right. Yeah, that's the, that's the one that was in Comics 2000. Okay, okay. Yeah. Mas- that's called masochism. Okay. <laughs> I, was just, I was just obsessed <laughs> with that, that, uh, that idea, of why we drive ourselves crazy. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that was... I, I like to play around, and I, th- and I think it's... You know, if you look at my graphic novels that I've done since... You know they're much more strict stories, but there's if you dig deep, there's some not experimental things, but there's some playing with form. Nothing, nothing that that just screams. I'm playing with a form, but it's things right. things like uh, in the Lewis and Clark book where I each tribe that Lewis and Clark meet along the way has a different uh, they speak in a different dial, uh, dialogue balloon shape. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Americans speak in our typical, in their typical rounded balloon. Mm-hmm. The French trappers, the Quebecois, they speak with the tintin scalloped edge square balloons. Right. And uh, um, then there's when they're speaking sign language to one another because that's how tribes would communicate when mm-hmm. they would, when they get together. That's that's its own that's its own uh, language. I mean, yes. its own uh, 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 pictorial. Yeah, imagery.
3: that's so that's so much nicer than um you know often in comics you see the standard of being like oh we use a different font for each different character's accent which yeah. always seems to fall on its face
2: yeah but yeah uh, it's it, nice it really calls attention to it i'm sure what i did calls attention to it but it's you know my point with that book was you know in, in talking about all the characters and all the, all the different tribes was Know, not our differences, but our similarities. You know, yeah. you know because you, any story you read that takes place in that period, it's often this dichotomy of, you know, us the, versus the noble savage. The noble or, savage, or yeah. The and, other. I, I that seems, and that goes back to your theme of
1: of borders. Yeah, I didn't even think about that.
2: Wow, you solved everything. Well,
1: okay. All right, we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that end Shackleton? The Revelation.
2: And Shackleton. Uh, is there exper- experimentation in that? No,
1: borders. Borders? Yeah. Oh, all the maps. Well, I mean, Shackleton's about exploring. And and there's a oh, lot yeah. St. Clark is about oh, exploring. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's also a lot of themes in your work where
3: you, you've got the cartographer in one of the stories. And in, in Rubberneck, I where you had a, uh, like, you've got a story about a guy who makes fonts and finding the perfect.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that one. How, <laughs> you know, he's, he, he's found the perfect. Uh, Typeface. The perfect typeface. Yeah,
2: and uh, he's hired a designer to make the perfect typeface, and she struggles with it, and it's so painful that she has to disappear, Uh and with the typeface leaves with her. Right. The 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 one that got away.
3: And I really like the way you did the. There's there's a couple short stories. I think there's there's one in each issue where you would start with um, a a large open space of white at the beginning of the page, and then the oh yeah with the with the title and the then the panels below that.
2: Yeah, Harvey Kurtzman. Uh, somebody pointed that out to me. That Harvey. Oh, it was Paul Pope said. Harvey Kurtzman said the perfect opening comic page is. I think it's either three quarter or two thirds of the top of the page is one giant panel, hmm. and then below it there are there are two panels that are, that either take up one third of, of the vertical right. space or one quarter of the of the vertical space. I'm telling you, I think it's one third, and that's just. That's so. That was just the white space inverted. So it was oh, just the, the opposite of that.
3: It made me think of there's a there's a comic store called Isotope in, in San Francisco, and they have a very they have a very unique setup for their store where they they modeled it after a, a like a like a hair salon, and they they did that to try to make it uh, more comfortable for women to come in. And the idea was that when when the female shopper goes into their comic book store they want to have some space to be able to turn around and run out because you walk into a normal like dude dungeon comic <laughs> yeah. store and it's just like you've got like comic books pushed up to the windows <laughs> this one is they have a large open space and, and you, it's like you're doing a comic book that started that way yeah thought, you can yeah. still turn around
2: and go back The story hasn't started <laughs>
3: yeah
2: I think it's also you know like a paragraph indentation yeah. you know you look at it, you read a you read a novel and they don't start with the first word in the upper left-hand corner a bible would do that but mm-hmm. you know if you even try reading a bible it's just so text heavy it just doesn't it doesn't i mean it's interesting to look at but it's not it's not readable right. i think i mean you don't and nobody I mean, plenty of people do but i would never sit down and read it end to end in that fashion i'd want it laid out so that you have one column on a page oh, right. you know thinking a little bit more about the the design of the page just the ease of reading i'm all about making it smooth, a smooth, uh, 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 rippleless reading experience for the reader so you're never taken out of it. You're just, you don't, you, you're never drawn out by, oh, why, why is he drawing different, why is he using different fonts and, mm. and, and then suddenly being aware that the, the story is using fonts. No, I want, I want you to be immersed in it. Oh, right. I want it to be an immersive experience as much as <laughs> comics can be. Hmm. Yeah. What
1: was the main storyline in Ferber the, the one with the House the building plans. Oh yes. The yeah. drop
2: drop ceiling is the name drop of that. Another one with a map. And and I yeah. was, oh, yeah. was I always <laughs> read it uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always read that
3: one and I, I don't know how much it is, but I always read it as fairly really autobiographical because all I knew about you at that point is that you had a daughter and it's about this uh, Yeah, you
2: know, the guy, the, son character, character, son. the young son. Uh yeah, there's a lot of that's sort of my alter ego from another dimension. And if a I'd never family I, the <laughs> story. Well, that's that's not based on my family. That's based on uh, other people I know, let's just say. <laughs> no, it's an amalgam of uh, you know, I grew up, uh, my father was an attorney mm-hmm. and we grew up on the east side which is a nice part of Providence and I went to public school so I had lots of friends that grew up on the other side of of Providence and it's not, you know, just experiencing the culture clash right. and um, you know, being observant of that and, and not not feeling like I was, a, you know, I couldn't live inside that culture but that I was, you know, I was definitely not part of it but uh, you know, I, uh, learning how to observe, how the mores worked in another class, let's say. Mm-hmm. And you're, you don't think of that in the United States but it's there and it's strong and it's um, you know, not that those people were horrible, Not I'm not thinking of uh, um, the people in the book are not as uh, are nowhere Near the people that I I knew well in in on, uh, the north side of Providence, but there were there were amalg- I mean there's plenty of rotten many rotten people on the east side of Providence. And so it's an amalgam of a lot of different families and, and relatives, right. and uh, and it's it's sort of me had I never left Providence, or mm-hmm. had my father never left Providence, and had he gone into his father's plumbing supply business, which I would have been. You know, we would have been uh, scions of Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and just—I mm-hmm. you know, would never would have left. We would have lived on some triple decker in in Pawtucket, and really? I, d- I don't dislike that idea. I mean, I—I I very much like the idea of that life, but it's you know a different way of exploring the city I grew up in hmm. or the 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 area I grew up in. It's uh, my attraction to it, and p- growing up in Providence was a in the '70s and '80s. I was born in '70. There was, Providence was a, was dead. It was a, it was like, a, everybody talks about Detroit. So Providence, all its
1: oh, industry got okay, sure. completely lost. We're just doing a, a, an interview in here. we kind of found a quiet space.
0: Okay, um, cause I have a tour and I was gonna show this piece.
1: Sure, yeah, yeah, we sure. can just pause. Um,
3: so the artists came here and made
2: a trough. Hey. Yeah, have you ever, you've seen this stuff.
3: Richard stuff. I'm. I'm aware. Of it. I've heard the name. He likes. He likes. To, he likes uh, have
2: you seen those giant? Those giant. Oh yeah, I have actually. Circular. What do you What do you call that shape? Oh. Right. The the, the bizarre. Uh, kind of dull metal
3: maze this. that goes nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I've been in one of those. Yeah. What are we, we talking about?
1: <coughs> How cool your shirt is.
3: Yeah, we're talking about uh, drop ceiling.
1: Yeah, here we are in the. Uh, in the attic of uh, PS1, talking about drop ceiling. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, that's yeah, careful.
2: What we wish for. So yeah, that was a, yeah, that's gonna be done eventually. I took a 10-year break. Uh huh. Not intentionally. That just happens. And uh, I really, I, I can't wait to get that done. I just like that story. I, I want people to read that whole story. Mm-hmm. The, the, the entire story, because I've got a great ending for it.
3: Was it difficult uh, returning to it?
2: No, I missed it so much. So I I was, um, after Rubbernecker, all right, so I got a little notice after Rubbernecker, and I thought, oh, I can parlay that into some graphic novel money, because everybody I knew seemed to, I didn't want to go back to art directing, so I thought, oh, if I can sell a graphic novel, then I can pay for myself to work on Drop Ceiling. It was always the idea of making Drop Ceiling, making uh, making Rubbernecker, that was always going to be my baby. Mm my my center, and um, uh, so I I was working on this online comic called, well, what became The Salon, was Tom Hart started a web comic site called Serializer, Mm -hmm. and so he asked me to design it, I came up with a name, and uh, people hated me because it scrolled horizontally, (laughs) they hated me. Because everybody with a scroll button is like, this is just, this is terrible. I have to Life press. is so hard, I have to
1: move the mouse. I have to press the arrow,
2: the right arrow key. And, and so, uh, you know, I, can, I understand, but I just thought, you know, comics read horizontally. Why shouldn't a website read horizontally? Right. Who said that they should right websites should scroll vertically? Why can't they scroll horizontally? Right. And, you know, Scott McCloud was talking a lot about comics on the web and using the format to... to, to to accentuate the content and so I I just I decided to make the web comic that way and so uh, I made the salon so that it would fit on the screen very nicely and each panel this is another very subtle format thing that I like doing I don't want anybody to know I'm doing it I'll tell you guys but it's each panel is the golden ratio laid out in the golden ratio and so therefore every page is laid out in the Golden Ratio. Because I thought, even if you hate the art, you're like, wow, this is, this is an attractive page. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm attracted to this, the shape of it. But I'll keep reading because of that. So that was, um, and that, that was on the web, and I was doing that concurrent with Drop Ceiling, or I should say Rubbernecker, and, we, and I sold that. Uh, I, got an a, I got an agent and sold that book but not before we went through six months of changes, Of like heart-wrenching changes. And the book is not better because of it. The book is actually, I think, a little, a little bit of the, 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 the blood is taken out of it. It's a little drier. And right. I, and I've
3: never. I, I would love to talk to someone that, that was like I went through six months of changes and the work was better for it. Yeah, I don't I, think that person. Oh, uh, well, I would
2: say Shackleton. Yeah. David Matzke I was probably an extra, not quite six months, but maybe three extra months of work. Oh, interesting! And he smacked me upside the head the right way. So, to be an edit comics editor, I, I know this is this is I maybe a little biased, but I think it's best if you're a cartoonist yourself. You
3: right. Know? Well, I I often say that putting somebody in charge of a
1: visual medium that doesn't draw seems seems insane. Yeah. In it, there's right. a difference yeah. between seeing an editor and the guy that did rubber blankets.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean there's there's good comic editors I'm sure sure they're out there but I think it's I think it's just it's a harder job than people think it is yeah. because mastering the visual format or just read being able to read the visual uh, comics format that is that's so hard in, in and of itself and then to tell somebody else how to do it knowing understand, having that language is also something else you have to you have to work right. on sure. and so all right so but back to the salon so I stopped doing Rubbernecker, not intentionally, because I had to finish this thing so we could sell it because I wasn't making any money. I had a kid. And we sold it. And it was uh, all of the the person who edited it, her ideas were to make it more commercial and more saleable. And I think they took a little bit of the life out of it. They answered too many questions. You know, They answered where, where the magic potion in it comes from. And that, I think that, that didn't need to be explained. could That was more of a... That wasn't the idea of the book, is to, is, is to answer this question. The idea was just that mostly the personalities and how they interacted. And so uh, that was a bit of a disappointment, and it did sell, and, and it made its money back, and I made a little bit of money from that, because I didn't make any kind of an advance. But from then on, I was just sort of... I, I got to the point where, well, what skills do I have to go back out into the art world with... I mean, into the graphic design world with... Worthy. How can I go back and be a graphic designer? I don't even... I can't keep up with, you know, these kids who can get, you know, who are 24 years old coming out of college. They know everything about every program. They have, you know, endless amounts of, uh, of information at their hands about typefaces and things. And I just don't, I'm just, I'm not up to that competition. So I thought, I'm going to just keep on moving with, keep keeping moving forward with uh, graphic novels. You know, and... Uh, uh, I was offered the book Stuffed with Glenn Eichler, and I said yes right away before I even read it because he was uh, the guy that wrote for the Colbert Report. He's the head writer of the Colbert Report. I was advertised, and he's not the head writer of the Colbert Report. And I thought, oh, he'll just get on the Colbert Report, and we'll have a hit, and I'll be able to just go yeah. back to drop ceiling. It was all about going back to what I loved doing. Great. So I was, you know, getting this getting my getting my money to make my fix and I could never get my fix because I couldn't make enough money because right. I was spending all my time doing this other thing right. and uh, but there was there was some benefit to going to doing uh, stuff because I was able to uh, I tried I was really studying Toth at that point I think each project I do I try to either learn a new tool or kind of incorporate a new style or or say to myself I'm going to work with shadow on this book or I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to, how to. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna make my anatomy a little bit better. I'm gonna work on that, a little more, because I'm very, i I'm, I'm very. Uh, I hate my, hate my uh, the way I draw. I've always hated it. <laughs> it's, um, uh, uh, something I gotta, I just gotta live with. But it's so hard to. So, uh, so then I just got, I kept getting these graphic novels jobs Houdini came in at that point right. and that was amazing because Jason Lutz did mm-hmm. all the layouts for this and he couldn't he just couldn't fi- he was going to finish the book but he couldn't cuz his publisher wanted him to finish the next book of Berlin mm-hmm. so I just took took that job on they're the best they're the gold standard for thumbnails those tiny little things but they're so easy to read and so seamless and, and he's really smooth. good at the like the usage of the page. Oh, he's amazing. He's, he's the such best. He's a
3: methodical guy that he's probably did eight versions of this list.
0: Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. And he, But this was like getting paid to go to grad school in comics. Because mm-hmm. James Sturm called me up and said, Do you want to do this? I said, <laughs> Are you going to pay me to do this? Of course. And I'll be honest, I have zero interest in Houdini. I've, yeah. and people come up to me all the time and go, How much do you love Houdini? And,
1: <laughs> not and, at, not all. at all. Not
2: at all. like this much and you don't move your arms. <laughs> Exactly so. And and so after that was Lewis and Clark and then Jerusalem the Jerusalem book that's kinda of sandwiched in there and now Shackle. Sounds like
3: you're getting an education though all the way through these.
2: Yeah, I like to I'm I like to I like to learn. I like I get very easily bored. Right. So if I that's why I've never really settled on one style. If you look through all my books it's this mess of st- <laughs> this mess of different styles kind of trying to cover up bad drawing. And it's I and I I've never been a great inker and I just don't care about inking as much. I care about the story. That's that's what I want to do. Do you and feel
3: like you, you gain some ownership over these subjects? Like do you when you see Houdini? Like if, if there was a, an <laughs> A and E on Houdini, you'd
1: be like, I know that guy. <laughs> uh that's a I wonder. Um, maybe if it's different it's the stuff you wrote. If if it's
2: uh hmm, you know, when somebody says something about Picasso now, well, well, so one of the reasons I did the Picasso the Salon book was because I took a bunch of art history courses in in uh, college about about uh, the modernists in particular. Yeah. And I just never got what Cubism was, so I needed to, you know, take the time to do this research and, and learn about it myself. And I needed a goal. I had to be, I had to have this this goal of making a comic in order to do that. And yeah, I learned a lot. I figure I. Not an expert by any stretch, but when people sort of throw out ideas about Picasso and Brock and Gertrude Stein, I can just say, "You don't know what you're talking about," or, you know, take a second look, do a little more reading before you, before you get, you know, before you say how much you uh, talk about how much you think Picasso stinks or you think it's, it's like it's, which Picasso cheapo painting? Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. And I, yeah, learning is if, if I'm not trying to fix something in my art Mm -hmm. I get bored and I think that's kept me away from being a better inker so I just need to sit down and do the work guiding my hand into becoming a better inker but I I may just do pencil a lot of persimmon cup is just pencil I might be
3: but it's always interesting I remember when I was learning to ink a lot of the a lot of the talk was about um, using a dip pen yeah. and how much more beautiful it looked. And, and it does make the work look more beautiful on the originals, but then when it goes to print, you can't tell the
2: difference between a ballpoint and, <laughs> and a dip pen. I wonder about that. That's... Uh, uh, hmm. and Reproduction's gotten to the point now where you can actually do something in You, you, and, and you like know it? what the difference is that with the dip pen and the brush? Is that you have to refill. So you have to force yourself to think about your line more. Okay, And I think to me that's watching all my students over eleven years, Mm -hmm. watching them work on comics and watching them grow through comics is when they figure out that before you set the line down on the paper you you gotta kinda practice the line. You know you see that kind of maybe pretentious looking artist kind of doing the the ghost sketching above the paper and it looks so stupid but it's actually helpful because you're, you're just sort of Working through the line in your brain. I've right. seen you
1: do that sometimes. Yeah, I
2: certainly do. And that fear of,
3: of like, this is it. This is the real line.
2: Yeah. Um,
3: do you do you, do you advocate making noises when you draw?
2: <laughs> I, when I write, I make a lot of noises. I always act... No, when I draw, I always... Yeah. Uh, if I need to do a pose, I have... If I need to draw a certain pose, I'll, I'll stand in that pose okay. or sit in that pose. And I'll often make the words or, or sounds that booshalaka. go along with it shalaka, boom chaka yeah
3: just or even just you know um, drawing a car and going <laughs> no I've never
2: done that but that's <laughs> great
3: that might be just my own I was <laughs> really disappointed Rob Liefeld doesn't make noises when he draws <laughs> and I was like if anybody was going to it would be him
2: what did you say when you were doing a fake punch when you were a kid what did you guys say growing up in Seattle like just pow you said pow yeah what did you guys say? Pop. Pop? Yeah. I'm Canadian.
1: Yeah, what did hey. you guys say? <laughs> <laughs> How about that? <laughs> <laughs> How about. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. I said... feel really bad for this.
2: <laughs> we said douche. <laughs> <laughs> douche. <laughs> <And, and, laughs> yeah, dooge. I know that, yeah. And somebody else, I was asking that of somebody else a while ago, and they said push.
3: Is, so, that, is that I, the difference I, between bang and pawn or whatever for a gun firing, which oh, American <laughs> France?
0: Yeah,
2: I guess. I guess, Bang, Pon, Pow,
1: yeah, we just duge. I don't know why. Now, a couple of minutes ago, you you kind of went started mentioning that you've been looking at Alex Toad stuff, and I wonder if we can kind of jump back and kind of what you were learning with that. Because I mean, we were talking a little bit, I guess, yeah. about the economy of line, and that's that's his thing.
2: There's something that a lot of cartoonists do that I've I get bored with, and that's drawing the same face and just drawing different. Hairstyles on top of it Mm -hmm. or different costumes or let's say Alex Toth will have three different characters Zorro and Bravo for Adventure (laughs) yeah they all look the same one has a mustache that goes up the other one has a mustache that goes down right and they've all they've got the same facial structure you know he has he draws different archetypes Zorro,
3: why the long stash. (laughs) yeah
2: and I've just I've wanted to do that but I can't do that Mm. although you look at my artwork and most of the characters kind of are pale imitations of myself. You know, it's sort of the main character of Drop Ceiling, Lewis from Lewis and Clark. I guess not Shackleton, really, but, you know, the dark-haired guys, but, and I'm sick of drawing guys. <laughs> I want to do an explorer book about a woman, just because right. I'm tired of guys getting all the glory.
3: <laughs> and, and does that have to do with, with having daughters now?
2: Yeah, but also just you know the feminine side of myself wants to come out and draw a little, you know, get my girl on, right. draw my, draw, draw women. They're, you know, I've drawn so many men; it was just boring after a while. You know, it's a diff- you know, the bodies are are similar, obviously, but there's you know there's those important differences, and I'm not just talking about sex organs; right. I'm talking well, about you know, shoulders. Yeah, chins. Yeah. hands. The women have
3: different teeth, according to uh, Dan Klaus not sure. Really? Yeah, he, he did a... It was one of his short comics in, in April. He talks about, about uh, being attracted to women's teeth.
2: Really? Uh, I'll have to go back. Is that recent? I don't know. That was one of the early ones.
3: Oh, okay. Um, I wondered I wonder, I wonder if you had any interest in, in Milo Nara's work because the crossover with Fellini.
2: Uh, I've read Click. I've read... What's the other one? Butterscotch. Butterscotch, yeah, we used to have those in the store. So when I when I went to Flat Jack's comic crypt, we used to sell the hell out of those things. Right. We could sell one a week.
1: thinking, uh, is has a
3: chance to drink. No, what's the what's the one he did with Fellini? Oh,
1: I can't remember. Um, it was a, it was an unused Fellini script. script. Right. Um.
2: Uh, I like Fellini when Fellini directs. Right, right. I've seen some of his drawings, and they're fine. They're I had a whole, a whole through line idea here where
3: I was. I was thinking, because you were talking about not wanting to draw the same faces over, and he is the, the, the king, prince, and duke of drawing the same faces yeah, over. Yeah. And, uh, and also, when you were talking about, about working with Kelly and I, w- I was wondering uh, the thing that threw me off in reading Astros of was it has the same end of Manara's Bergman Perchance to Dream. The, this kind of story going a certain direction, and then when the characters finally get together, there's a nuclear bomb. <laughs> and so I, I already, like, I had that comic memorized, and, and just, and, and and hitting that at the end of Astros up, I was just like, D- didn't... Like, Is that the same? I didn't it's, know it's, that. It's, it's really which similar. which Monero one? It's uh, Perchance to Dream. It's uh, no, I do that. No. And, and I was wondering if...
1: Uh, it's like his kind of homage to Porto Maltese character. No, no, no. It bothered me in both books. Both books, I was like, what a shitty ending.
2: What a fantastic book with a shitty ending. <laughs> What's... I, I felt they worked in. I think he. I was kind of a. I liked it in Asterios Pollock, but I've never. I haven't read the Monero one. If I'd read the Monero one first, maybe I would have that that reaction. But I think you see it a lot in comic in students' work when they don't know how to write a story, and it ends with a five hundred pound weight falling on the main character <laughs> right. to end the story, or somebody steps in shit. And you'll see that constantly. Constant when people are first starting doing comics. A good <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You would get kind of boring though if you read that all every time. Oh, certainly. Uh, I think a, I think a serious pop, I think the way that they got killed—it was a lightning bolt, right?
1: No, it was a meteor.
2: It was a meteor. Oh yeah, it was a nuclear test in yeah. the hour comic. Yeah. Yeah. I—I I don't know. I bought that. I bought it. No, I mean I bought the comic. I bought the, the way the story ended. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to reread that and think about it that way. Yeah. I—I I don't reread many comics. I just get. I get too bored. Do you have so, do you have
3: things that uh, do you have any that you reread?
2: James Sturm's comics. I constantly re- I love I think he's the best living American cartoonist. Huh, wow. I think he's I think those that trilogy, James Sturm's America, the baseball, the, the preacher is that the, and the miners. The Gollum's Mighty Swing is that, Gollum's that is Swing, the Gollum's Mighty Swing. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh my god. The revival. The revival and the other one is Ten thousand miles underground, or something like ten thousand feet underground. Yeah, astonishing. And I love Market Day. I, I thought it was incredible. I love that about comics as you're like the best living
3: American comics, and I'm like I flipped through some of this stuff. <laughs> 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 like there, there's so much good stuff out there in different directions. That yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you could also say that about Gary Panter. Yeah. You could say about Jaime and I Gilbert Hernandez. I don't even so. know who I'd say. I'm I'm so I'm so. Uh, Tom Herpick and uh, I like the obscure guys, you know. Yeah. but uh, I don't know if that's just me being difficult or <laughs> you are pretty difficult sometimes. Graham means difficult in
2: Scottish, right? Yeah, in Gaelic. <laughs> so Graham. That's hard though. I mean it it also it's just like <laughs>
0: who
3: who expresses their feelings the truest through their pen so and it at least like, you know, I guess a lot of that's pretty subjective. Do you think it's Tom? I he's up there. I mean Yeah, he's amazing. There's yeah. Pat McEwen, there's there's um, I don't know it's, it, that's, I it's think Pat one.
1: McEwen's too formalist too Canadian no I love Pat McEwan <laughs> but I don't know if it's like I think intellectually his comics are phenomenal but I don't think it has the same raw motion you're looking for that you're getting from from other folks
3: yeah I, don't know. I mean I, I feel like you have to go it's like it, it's almost a question of like what's the best food
2: and like, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, course, today
3: yeah. pasta, but you know, I like I like sushi too. Give
2: me a hot yeah. and sour soup on a Sunday. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. You don't want to live I'm, on. You don't want to have to live on Hernandez. Man does not live on Hernandez alone. Yeah, I well, that's so. true.
2: I, but I go back and back and back to James Sturm, and I uh-huh. just, I think it's, I, well, it's story that matters to me to me most. Okay. The art style's got to be good, but if the story, the story is so strong in his works, and the way he paces, and the way the way he he kind of is discursive from the, the main thrust of the story is never or actually he's not discursive he, when he goes off on a little tangent it's never discursive it's always in service of either the, the character or the story and it just it, it keeps me it keeps me interested and I, as I say I get bored easily so if I'm reading something where uh, you know it's it's uh, somebody's using a you know this po- this poetic moment to kind of you know just draw the scenery. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I get I get bored. And you know, um, it's nice to look at, but I just I want I want that story that strong, strong, that strong story. I, I
1: just wanna. All
2: right, all right. Um, because put a muzzle people. on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, market day. Um, one of the main things about it, it's it's a craftsman wanting to make the best craft he can in a in a commercial setting, and I'm wondering about that coming from like you're doing. Um, the the work that's maybe not specifically your own art form uh, not art form but like you talk about how you want to get back to drop ceiling or you're doing these other books with other writers and stuff and I'm wondering about how that kind of run through with you well I, I
2: working with other people is never, I've never shied away from uh, I've always wanted to learn so I've always wanted to get somebody else's mojo you know mm-hmm. get somebody else's power and you know learning from that happy accident of learning from Jason Lutz was just uh, I, I just like my, my craft just shot up like an arrow yeah, you know, yeah. I got this huge steep climb to another plateau uh, uh, was evident from working on that book just what I, just what I was able to do after that hmm. um, just, just in terms of storytelling not, not so much in art but, but how to approach a story uh, it was, it was fantastic but to get to your question yeah I, I think with 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 working with other people yeah I think was stuffed it was I I thought the story was kind of a little pushed the boundaries of good taste and I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. and I thought and I wanted to do a book that was kind of more mainstream I wanted to learn how to do the mainstream because I felt like I was I did not accept at that point that I was the child of of Classics Illustrated Comics, Robert Crumb and Herzog. Herzog. Okay. You know I, that It didn't occur to me that that was, that was okay to be that way. And I could be an outsider for the rest of my life and still yeah. be all right with that. Hmm. I, not that I was desperate to be mainstream or anything, but that I was just wondering why don't I have this talent to be able to, to write a an issue of King Kong, not King Kong, why am I thinking King Kong? That's not even a comic book, is it? Uh, uh, no, green Arrow, a, or something. Right. Something, right.
3: something accessible to uh, people who aren't
2: looking for for higher in their comics. Yeah. Why? Why? What am I lacking that I'm? I, I don't have that, and I realize that it's, it's just a, it's a concentration. It's a, it's a form of attention. I don't. I'm just not interested. Right. I, I just. I, it's like inking. I wish I could ink better, but it just doesn't grab me. It cool. doesn't. It doesn't draw me in. Mm-hmm. What I was
3: interested in is, is uh, even even talking about best cartoonist is. In, in your work, are you interested in all in? Is perfection something that interests you? Is there? Is storytelling story yeah. perfection? Is that something
2: that you think is a is attainable? Yeah, if you yeah. If so if you measure perfection by the perfect story, is one in which somebody is satisfied at the end. You're not crying or laughing or or scared or and you can be any one of those things, but you're satisfied. You have that. It's like a. It's like a good. <laughs> It's a good piece of pizza. That sounds you. That seems
3: fairly broad, too. It's not like... It just just you talking about Strum, everything being in service of the story. Uh, I was just thinking there's... I saw this GoGo13 cartoon the other day. Yeah. It had this horrible scene in it where a character was a, a mob boss woman who has a, a safe in her room that when you open it, it just has a telephone in it that rings and it's her father on it. And it's <laughs> stupid and the, it makes... <laughs> it's a bad story idea, it doesn't make any sense as soon as you deconstruct it, but it made the movie more interesting, and I was thinking, I was mulling over different cartoonists in my head when we were talking about that, and I was thinking that some of the people whose work i prefer to read, I regard as more flawed cartoonists, and I'm wondering if, if you allow for the kind of mistakes in your work. My own work? Yeah. Or maybe even just what you like, just with the idea of perfection being a thing.
2: Mm. That's a good question. That's a tough one. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, <laughs> I... Yeah, I think I've just been so focused on this, getting, a, making the story so satisfying and tight and taught. I, like, I, I thought about ten years ago, I thought I'm going to stop trying to learn how to draw and I'm just going to focus on writing stories and, and getting to be the best writer I can. And I, I... I I don't oh, know. That's weird. I'm having trouble answering that. I would say, I, I um, I appreciate those moments. Those moments of of uh, the kind of stand out. And I'm thinking of a Coen Brothers movie, for example. You know, there's they have they'll tell a story, but then there's going to be such a peculiar character or such a peculiar way of somebody has a peculiar way of speaking or a peculiar habit, or they'll. There'll be this moment that just stands out from all the rest, and I don't mind that. I think it can be in service of the st- if it's in service of the story, and yeah it's, it's acceptable, but otherwise, I think it's just a collection of cool images and why is it comics? Why aren't you doing paintings or something like that yeah. um, I don't know, just reading Wrenchies recently, he has those moments, those incredible moments you know, where they go into these underground forts that are so right. cool. I was but
3: actually thinking of Wrenchies because I was like, I was I was probably thinking of Farrell who blows me away as a cartoonist, but I I could probably say that like, her pick's slicker if it's like A to B, but Farrell is, I feel weird, Farrell's like family with me, so it's always hard to... But he's got the human, he's got the humanism
2: down. He's yeah, got, exactly. The way his drawing style just is so what a silly word but fetching so yeah. just so attractive but so human and so like there's more to it than just what you're seeing there's, yeah. he's, he's creating a, a, he, a character with a line he well, seems that,
3: to allow a little mistakes
2: yeah I guess he would do that yeah
1: a little diversion a little maybe mis- his characters are a little flawed that's the endearing part of it well, that a, book is a hard book to process too
2: he's an unusual guy I remember talking to him when I was first getting into uh, doing all this research on how to Uh, how to write more classical stories and I just read Story by Robert McKee which a lot of people poo poo but it's uh, I just read that and it really affected me it gave me the language of talking about story and I was telling him about it and he goes I'm never going to read that I'm never going to read somebody's somebody's idea of how to write a story and for me it works and for him it doesn't and he's fantastic and I, I can read the Wrenchies over and over again and it's something to do with the art, and the, the story is, it's a classic story, you know, mm-hmm. kids against the world, that's, that's, that's not so unusual, and, and, and right. he's, he's doing classic story whether he knows it or not. That reminds me of a, of a feral documentary
3: me and him were both in, and, um... You guys were in a documentary? It was a, a, a documentary that somebody did in film school, and, um, and in it they have Ted Rawl and he's very angry about politics, and he says... If you're not if you're not angry, you're not paying attention about politics. And they cut to Farrell and Farrell goes, I never pay much attention to politics and he shrugs shoulders and goes, Never learned to play guitar. <laughs> and it, it just it feels like that that type of thing coming from him. Like
2: I'd l- I'd love to know more about Farrell. I wish I I wish we lived in the
1: same town. I, I really like that guy a lot. We always have a good conversation around. Yeah, we see
3: yeah he's a very very impressive person.
1: Yeah. So you just did the Kickstarter for Rubbernecker Six? Which yeah. Succeeded. Yes. Um, are there? Is that going to be available for folks to be able to purchase? Yeah. yeah I had Headed
2: at SPX.
1: I'll have it at Cab.
2: I'll have it at Mocha, Moker, Moker, and uh, online anywhere. You can buy it from me. I have a store indie. Okay. No did, stores. Did though, you go with nice the similar
3: format as the it. previous Rubbernecker's? Yeah.
2: Number five was. I forgot that matte Matt stock does not mean uncoded. Mm-hmm. I forgot that I'd wanted it uncoded. So number five is a little odd, a little slicker. The paper's a little slicker, which I don't okay. like. And it's it's matte. And uh, number six is back to the old, uncoded. Okay, and 32 nice. pages. They, this one, number five, is 24 pages.
3: Right, and probably 32 pages with, every, I really liked that you would draw the ads and the, in the <laughs> Oh, ads.
2: yeah.
3: It's like nothing was out of place but you found a way to still
2: have comic books I had fun with those ads yeah and that was from from Klaus drawing and, and Chris Ware drawing their ads hmm. you know drawing if you remember in 8-Ball he would draw he would he would redraw the covers of every one of his comics mm-hmm. you know in the back yeah, I was totally aware of that yeah I mean, with kids you can buy 8-Ball 1 through 14 or whatever <laughs> it is and, or he, he might even have repainted them or something that's it's such a cr- perfectionism <laughs> it looks so good it looked you know Looks so handmade. I love that. Um, I'm gonna keep doing Rubbernecker. I don't know if I'll keep Indie Go going or kickstarting them. I- I'd love to, but uh, they'll be available at little stores here and there. I kind of just want them to be. I, I don't really want to. I don't know if I want to go back to the publisher on them. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's a little. It'd be a little weird for a publisher to pick it up at issue seven. You know, and then what have the, the?
3: I assume it'll be collected eventually.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've been recoloring a bunch of those stories and re-lettering because I was such a bad letterer yeah. ten years ago and I realized that I was drawing for color ten years ago. I, I wasn't using black well enough. Uh, and I've always well, been so influenced by Tintin that it just never occurred to me that I was not getting the most out of my stories. So I've colored them they're all different. They look, they're incredibly different. Story. Like the one about the the guy with the the letterer, the the, the editor who hired the letter, wrote the, the uh, font. Code, yeah, the typographer, yeah. So I, you know, I got a bunch of stuff left to do. I'll probably do another Explorer book. Um, what is it about uh, the? Explorers? I'm gonna quit comics and start making Hollywood movies because that's what all cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. I'm gonna make kites from now on. Uh-huh. I'm gonna get out of comics and do something more lucrative. Kites. <laughs> Macrame kites. Let's put some money in that. Yeah, (laughs) put them on Etsy. The Explorers. They just. They were looking for somebody to do Lewis and Clark. I'd always wanted to do a Lewis and Clark book. My idea was to do a mini comic of Lewis and Clark, where on the top half of the page of the mini comic, they're going out to the Pacific, Mm -hmm. and then you get to the end, you turn it over, and on the the, what was the bottom half of the page is now the top half of the page, and they're going back to uh, to Washington D.C. I never got, I got. I didn't get too far on that one, because I, I hadn't realized how much research I was gonna do. So I, I did all that research now, I, I mean, for, for Lewis and Clark, so. Uh, now I could probably go back and do that mini-comic, and do a little, a little more poetic version of that story. Maybe make it from Sacagawea's point of view. It would be a little more interesting, maybe. Hmm. Drawing women instead of men Great. all the time. We're good?
1: you have a question, Brandon?
3: Oh, I, I was wondering if you want going to get into the teaching at all. The,
2: the Yeah, eleven years! Yeah, because that's, that's that? got to influence the, the work. Yeah, because then you have to defend your positions. Oh, right. when you, ah. What you like has to be defended. You, uh, you have to, because if you have a student like Nick Gazin, mm-hmm. or Dash Shaw, you didn't listen to a word I said, thank bunch God. Of, bunch thank of human God. urethras in there. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Well, those are necessary. <laughs> if you, or or uh, uh, a person who became my brother-in-law, Mickey Duji, who's a oh. big-time that's, that's, illustrator. That's too close. Get some boundaries with the students. Well, I, I have one single sister left. Well, she's not single anymore. Okay. I, but my joke was for a long time, if you if you play your cards right, you could, you could marry my, my other sister. Right. <laughs> it's like
1: Diana shuts sister who's marrying uh, or being with Matt uh, Wagner and Joe Matt. No, really, it's, it's good. You can
3: uh, you have yeah. a large you have a large um, a large group of young men that you can
2: you can uh, you can vet well, to listen, see who's good enough. It's now it's, it's more than half women now. Obviously, for the past five years, something Well, I don't want to I don't want to cut your sister's options. Oh right! Oh oh right! Right, my sisters right. No, but my my uh, but the students have changed. When it's first when I first started, it was maybe the last gasp of the superhero mm-hmm. phenomenon at, at SVA. You know, there's still kids who want to be superhero artists, but it's uh, it's changed so much. For while it was manga, then it was indie comics, and now it's back to sort of manga slash image comics, are the ones everybody's reading, mm. and it's more than half women, and it's so much better teaching teaching the groups of of kind of more diverse classes, and you get Wait. much better questions and much better, you know. Different work, different kinds of work that you never right. would have gotten before, and uh, I've I learned how to gra- I learned how to grade, which is the worst thing that you ever have to do as a teacher. It's horrible. It's it's a terrible, terrible system. But uh, I've learned how to speak in front of a classroom full of people. Now right. I can do public speaking. All right, I can give a public speech. What was that
3: difficult in in the beginning in the yeah, if you'd met teaching. me
2: when I was 18, I would have I would've said yes, no, in that order. And that was it. Mm-hmm. That was all I would have said to you. Right. Okay. Just terribly, terribly shy. You know, like most cartoonists. Yeah, certainly. And, but, but teaching, you get to talk about yourself and your own work and what you like for three hours straight. And it's great. <laughs> that that does sound. Good. Are you...
3: Can you usually uh, relate to the... Do you you see students coming and doing comics now? They're coming from a totally different point of view in comics than than something that you
1: understand? A couple of them, yeah. With all the manga and... Yeah. Well, We're a Tumblr generation. I think we're done with the manga generation. Manga's kind
2: of back a little bit. There's some artists like the... um, um, One Piece is still there. That's still mm-hmm. a big it's for this past for the people that are twenty years old now. That's I imagine art school still students still, you know, love Urasawa and, and Berserk Shiro and all that stuff. Must, must do they an, still like him? I, it's, I think so. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, a few of them do. You know, there's always a couple of kids that are get into comics because they want to be robots. You know, hmm. they have Corey oh
1: Lewis. I like those guys.
2: Yeah, they they. It's this. They draw robots having sex with other robots and things like that. Although that's kind of tapered off a little bit. It's more, it's
3: Do you have any of these uh, graded papers that you can pass over to <laughs> No,
2: No, I should. You got anything in furry robots? Uh, no, I don't think I've ever had a furry, actually, come to think of it. Yeah. Just, just yeah, people that wanted to be Transformers. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think There's a few of those. We're messing with the Ghost in the Shell guys. Okay. I almost feel like that's a good note to end on. There you go. <laughs> thanks for, for letting me do this. I I felt like we were we were
1: just never gonna meet. I know. We, do we just came to you. That's it's the best way to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank uh, you. Uh, Reminder, folks, I'm talking yeah, to Nick Bertuzzi, and Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi. 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 I'm an asshole. you! I am. Give it the Italian Robert. No, there's time. a there's
2: a Did Canadian it? hockey player named Bertuzzi. That's maybe what you're thinking. Yeah, Bertuzzi. It's B-E-R-T-U-Z-Z-I-A. How do you uh, how do you get forty Canadians out of a pool party? Out of the pool at a pool party. Mm. All right, everybody, time to get out of the pool. <laughs> and what do they say when they're getting out sorry, of the pool? Sorry, sorry,
1: sorry, sorry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.